COVID has been stressful for everybody. To combat that stress, have you considered maybe watching a stand-up comedy special? This is Destinations Beyond Expectations. In the world of travel, things are constantly changing. There's always something to learn about the places we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Destinations Beyond Expectations, a podcast designed for students of travel. What is going on? This is your host, Stevie G, and welcome to DBE. I want to start today's episode by giving a shout out to DBE's newest patron, April, out in Fairfax, Virginia. Thank you, April. If you would like to support the show for just a few bucks a month, go to dbetravel.com and scroll down to find a link to support the show through Patreon. Destinations Beyond Expectations is on all major audio streaming platforms, so wherever you are listening, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. On today's episode, I'm interviewing an actor and comedian who goes by the name Jonesy. He has appeared on Letterman, Gotham, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and Drunk History, and he is also very involved with stand-up comedy. He has a cool website, jonesy.com, that shows everything he's done and what he's doing now. His work in comedy is actually the reason Jonesy is on this show, because he happened to be on a stand-up tour in Asia when the early rumblings of COVID began leaking out. On this interview, you'll get to hear Jonesy's unique first-hand experience as he traveled through several different countries during the very, very early stages of what is now a global pandemic. And he also speaks about some of the cultural differences between the countries he visited on this tour. Here is my interview with Jonesy. Jonesy, welcome to Destinations Beyond Expectations. Thanks so much for taking some time to hang out and come on the podcast. Hey, Steve, uh, it's a pleasure. Um, this is the first travel podcast I've ever been on, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited. As I'm, not, I'm not crazy traveled, but I have one particular trip that I went on in the beginning of 2020 that I think is, is pretty important and remarkable, and, and I hope that your listeners will, be, will find it fascinating. And I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to share today. Yeah. And I can't wait. It's, I've, you know, read your story and it's so incredible and interesting and a really unique perspective. Um, before we get into that, you are a comedian. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, how you got into comedy and, and just talk about your, what, what you're doing? Uh, well, I, I began stand up in college, uh, because my college roommate was trying it and I accompanied him to one of these comedy open mics. And I don't know if you've ever been to one of these, but it's a real train wreck. And, uh, you know, ev- in other words, everybody's terrible. So I thought to myself, if these guys who are so bad can get up there and do that, I mean, I, I know I know I could be at least as good as these people. I would even uh, and, and then, you know, that night uh, I even helped my roommate fix his fix his jokes, get them prepared for the next show. And I seemed to at least I thought had have some good ideas. I, I thought I contributed to his joke writing as well. And I thought if this is the process, I, I think I can do this. And. Of course, my first time in Boston, uh, you know, this is back in 2004, uh, three, four ish. I, I, I was terrible, um, but everybody was terrible. It's one of these open mics and it was, it was scary, a very scary experience, but I found it very thrilling. I've always been one that's kind of been into thrills. I'm like, <clears throat> you know, I'm on all the roller coasters and I want to bungee jump and I want to go zip lining and I want to do all those 
crazy things. I want to go to the Amazon jungle and take some crazy hallucinogenic beverage. You know, this, <laughs> these are the things that I like to do. I like to, you know, push the boundaries a little bit. And so stand-up comedy just fell right into my wheelhouse when it comes to that stuff because it's so scary. It's one of the most scary things a human being can put themselves through. And, and so I began in that way. And then I was determined to get laughs. And eventually I learned how to get laughs. And, um, and then, you know, my goals changed and I've been on to other things, still doing stand-up comedy, but I have different agendas with it. Um, I've, I've gone deep with the craft and I moved to New York City to do it for 10 years. I've been in LA for about four now. Um, so I've also, it's also brought me to some really cool uh, cities uh, that, I've, that I've, I'm lucky enough to have called my home for, for a little while. And so I've been doing stand-up a long, long time. And it's just it's something I'll never stop doing unless there's a pandemic. <laughs> oh, oh, is oh. there? Oh, there is one. There is one. Oh, oh, man, there is one. I guess I'll have to stop for a bit. <laughs> And it's funny, you say you're not, you said you didn't consider yourself to be like well-traveled, I guess, but you've got to live in a few different cities. And, and like we were speaking earlier, you've been to like San Diego, Las Vegas, and different parts that you can get to in a car, right? You've been, you've at least got to do a little bit of traveling for, for your oh, comedy. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, you know, and I've done shows in Canada as well. So, I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, relatively speaking, your, your average American, I'm, I'm, I'm probably better traveled than your average American. And of course, I've, you know, major cities in this country, I've, I've done stand up comedy in the, the major ones for sure. So I guess, yes, yes, I, I've, I've traveled a bit in the States and, uh, and I've done comedy, you know, in a lot of cities in, in the States. I'm very lucky to say on both coasts. Very cool. Now let's get into your, your COVID journey, I guess we can call it. Um, because that is a, that is a huge travel experience for you. How did that all come about? Well, um, my girlfriend lives in Singapore. So, you know, we, we kind of have to make arrangements to see one another. And when I visited her the, for the first time last year, uh, I noticed while I was there, oh, they have a comedy club. And guess what? The comedy club, speak. everyone speaks English. The comedians speak English. The crowd speaks English. English is the, is the spoken language of Singapore. And I, didn't, I wasn't really prepared completely for doing comedy over there. But I, you know, I, I, I visited the club. I talked to some comics. I, did, I stepped on stage a couple of times just to check it out. And I, with that in mind, I said, you know, next time I go there, I'm going to plan it out. And, and while I'm there, why not research what areas around there speak English? Well, it turns out the, the country next door, Malaysia, also speaks English. Um, there's a lot of Southeast Asian countries that primarily speak English. I reached out to a couple of friends of mine who've done shows in Asia. Uh, and they, they had some contacts for me. And so I was able to headline uh, clubs in Malaysia, Singapore, Taipei, and even uh, two cities in Japan, uh, Osaka and Tokyo. And so I was able to set up, you know, these all these shows, knowing that I would be there from January 20th until about March 9th, 10th ish. And I just hit up. I, I mean, I did, you know, I did about a dozen, 13 shows in Singapore, I, a weekend in Malaysia, as I said, and I just made it work. I made it work. Um, and 
you know, every all, the shows were all English English speaking. It, it was very doable, and and they turns out they really love American comedians. I mean, one of the fallouts of of Netflix is a lot of these stand up comics, these American comics, have been seen all over the world, and there's kind of a there's kind of a demand and a taste for American stand up comedy. So just that alone was was sort of like a, it gave me some credibility going over there, and I made it. I made money as well. They were just very, you know, they were just very gracious, and they opened up their arms to a stand-up comic um, just through a reference, or I send them a YouTube clip and and some TV credits, and they're you know they were into it, and, and so that's how the tour came about. Very cool. Now, I think it's important that we kind of you know tell the listeners what time of year you're actually beginning this tour because that's crucial to your yeah. story. Um, so I yeah. guess when, when did you get on the plane? If you can remember the date or if not just a, you know, your best guess. And then what was your first stop? Uh, so did I have a, a short layover in San Francisco? Uh, but then there's direct flights from San Fran to Singapore. So it's 20, I don't know. 20, 22 hours, 20 hours flight from, from there to Singapore. And that was on the 19th of January. And so then I, I arrived on the 20th, 21st of Singapore. I lost a day traveling. So, uh, it's about the 21st of Singapore. This is right in the, in the beginning of their Chinese new year, which is very big over there. Um, Singapore is made up predominantly. Um, you have, uh, Indians, Malay people, Chinese, the, the largest population may be Chinese. Uh, so Chinese New Year is huge over there. That's when I arrived. Uh, at the time, they were they had just, uh, oh, the, the, the headlines coming out of Wuhan were, were bad at that point. Uh, Singapore had just got their first case. And they were very quick to... Uh, to buckle down, which was hard to do because Chinese New Year is two weeks of intense home-to-home relative visiting. This is what they do. The relatives go from home to home every day for two weeks, going to somebody else's home, uh, eating and talking, and then going to the next home. I mean, this is, there's a lot of this. I participated in this. I was staying with a Chinese family. Uh, so they were like, you know, Chinese New Year's can happen, but let's sort of curb some of the non-essential stuff, which, you know, so I start, I started to see the bars, restaurants shutting down in the evenings, the comedy shows started to, uh, the crowds were light at first and then they started, they got shut down completely. This was very early on in the COVID cases. I mean, there's not even a hundred cases and not even a single death when Singapore was like, look at, uh, we need to stop this. And then, uh, cut to, I, I go to Malaysia for a weekend and they hadn't had their first death yet either. And I headline a weekend there. And then I squeak out just in time because three days after I headline a weekend there, I can't remember quite what the date was. But about two or three days after I left the country, Malaysia shut their border down. And they shut their border down very quickly. It was just, it was in, in one day they said, you get, we have, I don't know what it was, eight hours an eight hour notice for all the people that are in Singapore to come back to Malaysia and vice versa because they're just shutting down the border here. Only after just a few deaths. I mean, that's all it takes is a couple of deaths 
and these countries were really buckling down, taking it seriously. Singapore had, you know, every neighborhood had a little station there where you could go and pick up masks and hand sanitizers and some and a little packet of information. Um, so, I mean, they were just really taking it seriously. That Singapore got the military involved. I mean, there was this, you know, one death and they get the military involved. Um, should I just continue with that, or you want to you want to kind of interject? You know, it's some more details. What I think is, my listeners probably don't want to hear me. Like they hear enough of me. Your story is so interesting. Like I'm, my ears are yeah. all like locked into what you're saying. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, um, one of my, I remember my first a great paying gig that I had in Singapore. I was supposed to do this very popular. Um, it's an it's an it's an Irish pub and they, you know, they packed the place with 200, 250 people and it was very good money. And, uh, the, the week before me, the comedian was supposed to come in from the UK to headline and he, he didn't show up. He's like, I'm not going there. I'm not flying to Asia right now because of the pandemic. Uh, and then that club owner saw a major drop, it's not even a club owner, but the booker who runs the show at this Irish pub saw a huge drop in attendance. And then the bar, you know, had a very low attendance. And then they ended up canceling my big money headlining gig that pre that the, the following week. Um, and I had about four other shows in Singapore that didn't, they didn't pay as much, but they still, it was still money that I was losing. These shows were being canceled as they slowly went into what they really it was voluntary, by the way. This is all voluntary. They don't do they didn't have to do really much mandatory at that moment. Just asking the citizens to please stay home and wear masks. They immediately did it without question. This is a very different government. Um, you know, their, their government's very strict. Um, I don't know if people know the, how strict the Singaporean government is, but at one time chewing gum was illegal there because it dirties the streets. And had you been caught with chewing gum, you would be subjected to a huge fine or maybe even imprisonment. Wow. If you get caught with, if you get caught with even the smallest amount of marijuana, you will go to prison for a long time in Singapore. This government doesn't mess around. So, the citizens, you know, the government says jump, they say how high, and they they really got to it. Well, let me ask. So, how does it? I mean, thank you for all of that. That's that's great, uh, great information. Now, as you're going along through your tour. What are you kind of seeing? Because you said what late January or sometime in January, yeah. um, as you because how long is your tour and and how do things change as you go from day one to the very end of your tour? What kind of changes do you see along the way? Um, well, the countries, the countries kind of varied, right? Um, so yeah, maybe you, if I you want to talk about that, how how different countries are were maybe handling it as you went. Yeah. So I went from Singapore, then the weekend in Malaysia, then the Malaysia border shut down. Then I, I went to I went to Taiwan. I went to Taipei was the um, that's the city I went to. They they didn't. What did they have? I think they had one case when I got there, two cases or something. Everybody already wearing masks on public transportation everywhere. Uh, I was required to wear masks to enter a bakery. Now, this is one death. And they're already, I'm required to wear a mask to enter a bakery. My temperature being taken upon entering some stores. The, the, the virus was virtually non-existent at that time in, in Taiwan. And yet the, they were so strict about, about this. Some, some people uh, that I've talked to speculated it's, it's, this is all just a fallout from SARS, which they, you know, they 
recently had a run-in with. And so they're already with their masks and their temperature gauges. Be that as it may, I still thought it was uh, it was really something special to witness them just really crack to it. And, and, and you see the result of it. I mean, Taipei is down to – they have no cases. I mean, they were the quickest to eliminate it. And, and, you know, there's a reason. I, and I was there when the very beginning, and I saw what they did. So, yeah, of course they're going to eliminate it. We, and that's what we would have needed to do to eliminate it. This is what – these are the lengths you have to go to. You've got to get the cooperation, though, of all your citizens. And, uh, you know, I guess it's – I guess that's something in certain countries that's pretty easy to do, not as easy to do here in the U.S. Uh, my, the last leg of my trip – because um, after Taiwan, I went back to Singapore, and that's when subsequently my shows were canceled uh, there at that point. That was late in the game. That was probably mid-February. And then I – so then sort of the end of February into the beginning of March went to Japan. So into Japan for like uh, – was it 12 days, two weeks almost? Mm-hmm. Kyoto, Osaka, Tokyo. Uh, Osaka is – historically the stand-up comedy capital of japan uh it's where a lot of like i guess vaudeville old school comedy performers had come from you um they they pride themselves now as being still as being the comedy hub uh and fortunately they have a, a comedy show in english at an at an english pub it's expats mm-hmm. um and the, the whole show's in english i was headlining this show and uh, the show went on there. Uh, it did. Uh, people were wearing masks, but the show did go on there. Japan, I, although uh, kind of strict, I, I found them to be less strict about the the social distancing and the shutting down and the masks as uh, as the other cities I had visited. And I think maybe because of the size is what I can guess. You know, these other countries are quite small, but you know. Cities like Osaka and Tokyo are, you know, these are huge cities, huge populations. And so perhaps when you're dealing with a bigger population, it maybe it's a little more difficult to corral them. I, I'm guessing. I don't know. But they weren't as crazy about it, as draconian about it as some of these other places, as the other places I had visited, uh, notably uh, Taipei, but Singapore as well. Uh, the shows went on in Osaka, uh, but then, you know, by the time I got to Tokyo, which was the end of the trip, they, that was it. They, uh, by then the, uh, sort of the social distancing and the stay out of restaurants thing was really taking, starting to take hold. This is probably March 7th, okay. I'd say ish. I think I was headlining the week, the sixth, seventh or the seventh, eighth. Yeah. And, uh. So my Tokyo shows were were done. Those also at an English pub, uh, a show for expats. Uh, that's where you'll find the English speaking shows in in Japan, and and so those were those were wrapped up, not to be found. And so I just enjoyed uh, Tokyo without doing the shows, and, um, and you know enjoyed Japan. The other city I went to was Kyoto, which was my favorite. Um, if you're listeners ever get to visit japan i can't i can't recommend kyoto enough it's it's just, it's a city of old temples and it just has this old uh classical japanese feel to it the buildings and the architecture are just so beautiful and old and it's really cool i mean it just reminds me of like old school samurai or ninja themed movies that i loved as a kid you, you know that's exactly what you get in kyoto uh really cool place no comedy there, though. They don't do the comedy. They're, I don't know if they're too religious or what the deal is, but <laughs> yeah, no comedy shows to be found in Kyoto. 
So of the shows that you got to do, how, how did it go for you? I mean, were the crowds respectful? Like, was it a weird feeling doing a show in front of maybe a, a lesser crowd or just talk about that experience a little bit? Um, yeah, let me nerd out a little bit on the, on the way the standup was working over there. Maybe your, your audience might find the details, um, kind of fascinating. Um, uh, my, I noticed right away in Singapore where I began that, um, the majority of my American material wasn't really going to work. Um, there it's too culture specific. A lot of my jokes, you know, I do jokes about, I don't know, like I do jury duty, I talk about jury duty. They don't know what jury duty is. I right. talk about uh, Amber Alerts. They don't. They don't know what that is. Um, a lot of these references, they just, they just don't get. I had a couple of jokes that seemed to be universal, like me being a short guy. We could do that bit. Having a nut allergy, although that really seems to be America centric. But I, I even I made that a joke too. Like, hey, you guys probably haven't heard about this. But if you ever come to America, you'll hear about a nut allergy, you know, um, and they thought that was funny because, yeah, they know that in America we, we have this, but it, you really don't find it everywhere. Um, but they did know about it. So these are universal topics that did work. But that's really I only had a couple bits that I could get by. And I knew I had to because I was going to be headlining shows. I knew I had to have at least 45 minutes of material. So I began writing bits in Singapore about my experience as an American being in Asia and and. So, uh, you know, by the time, I don't know, seven, six, seven shows I had done in Singapore, just tight, sh short sets, maybe 10, 15 minutes. Uh, in fact, I was calling the club, looking up the club and asking them if I could do extra shows. Can I come in and do open mic night? In other words, I don't even need to be paid, but I just want to work out this new material. I need to work out this material about me being in Asia. I need a stage. And so they were very, very gracious to let me come and work out stuff. So I was able to, to develop this, you know, 15 minutes or so of this, this, uh, I'm an American in Asia and this is what I'm seeing. This is why it's weird. And let me make fun of America a little bit in ways that you'll appreciate and you'll get. So I was doing a bit of that and I was able to add that to my, my jokes and, uh, and, and put together a, a, a formidable set list as we call it. Uh, some of the differences in the countries uh, and the crowds I can speak of too, because it was pretty marked, uh, the difference. Singapore is a very stuffy country. The government is very on top of you. Uh, talking about sex on stage, I could see just talking about sex or, or doing drugs, even smoke something as, uh, you know, mundane as smoking pot, um, which is highly illegal there. Um, they, it makes them uncomfortable. A public, mm. by the way, public displays of affection in Singapore, if you are PDA they, is frowned upon. They, they don't want to see this stuff in Singapore. They're very strict there. And I was saying some things that were pretty, uh, pretty edgy. And, uh, and, and so me on stage in Singapore was a bit of a struggle for me, but I, these jokes worked elsewhere though. I went to Malaysia, they loved it, but the Malaysians were a more salt of the earth, like what you would call a, a more blue collar crowd. So they really, you could talk about sex with them and it's not going to be offended. Um, Singapore was a little bit different. Taipei was my favorite because Taipei, uh, Taiwan is a very progressive country. Um, I didn't know this, but, uh, this was the, this is the only country in Asia that has legalized gay marriage. Uh, they were really with it and they, I could, you know, the, the smart jokes that I have, that I love to do the smart edgy stuff where I might critique government or certain cultural uh, behaviors, they were right on board with it and they loved it. 
They loved it. Very smart. That was my favorite place to do comedy over there was, was Taipei and, and a place that I would, I actually considered, <laughs> I didn't consider, but I thought of all the places I had visited, I was like, I could live in Taipei because it reminded me of New York City, but cleaner, safer, and everybody was friendlier. Mm. Um, I, I just loved it so much. It's a place I'm definitely going to return. I could spend a lot of time there. It's a really cool place. I highly recommend Taipei. You know, that, uh, and, and by the way, most people speak English and the subway system is very easy to get around it. So you can totally do this as an American without a doubt. No worries whatsoever. J- Tokyo, Japan, that's a different story. Not, <laughs> not, you know, you're not going to find too many people speaking English over there. But in Taipei, they do. They do. Very good to know. No, and I found it fascinating that you encountered such a diverse group of crowds, you know, just a few countries away from each other. Um, I think that's so fascinating that the difference between one country to the next, as far as the people and the governments and, and how they kind of took your comedy, barring another like global pandemic and assuming this all gets better, hopefully sooner than later, do you plan on, on maybe doing something like this during normal times in the world? Like going back and doing another, uh, Asian tour? I would love to. Yeah, I would absolutely love to. I would like to extend it, though, to other places that I've learned that also have English-speaking comedy shows, such as Thailand and Vietnam, uh, Shanghai as well, Hong Kong. Uh, There's a lot of English comedy shows in Asia. Nearly every country has one. So I would like to go to all of those places and, and, and do and also repeat the places I've done. I'd love to go back to Malaysia. I really love those people there and the crowds were great in Taipei, especially. I don't, you know, I can't speak really for, uh, you know, Japan. I just did those two shows in Osaka. It was fun, was fun, but, um, you know, not, I'm not like rip roaring to go back there to do comedy, but, you know, excited to visit Japan as a tourist again. I mean, that was just incredible. It's just, it's so, I can't, I mean, just uh, if you could choose a place that's so different than, than the States. I mean, Japan's got to be on your list. And that's what I really loved about it. How different. Did you have one, you, one like favorite part of Japan that really just stuck out to you? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, certainly Kyoto, uh, because of the, the history there and it's just all the buildings are very, not all of them, but a lot of it is very, very old. It's unchanged, very old temples. I, I just really love that. Uh, there's a place outside of, uh, outside of Kyoto called Nara and, uh, another it's, it's, it's a place that's another city that's just very old and it's filled with temples and, and there, it's just inundated with deer. There's all these deer, these deer run the city pretty much. They just, they're <laughs> everywhere and they come up to you and it's so bizarre. They just walk up to people. I got video of this. I mean, it just blew me away. They just come up to you and they, and if you nod your head, they also nod their head and then you hand them like a treat. And you can buy these treats all over the place. They just have there's a system going around where they're just deer everywhere. They walk up to you if they think you might have something. You nod, they nod, and then you give them a. <laughs> they're like people, like saying, "What's up? What's up? What do you got to eat? I'd like some of that." And then they go on to the next person. It's it was bizarre, man. It was bizarre it's to see a town overrun by deer. They just let them go. They're just everywhere. Um, so I can't I can't recommend Nara enough. Uh, oh, I forgot your question. Uh, what was my favorite place? Yeah, what was the, like one thing I guess about Japan that really stuck out to you? This is a weird thing, but there's no, there's no trash bins. <laughs> like there's just no trash bins anywhere. Like how do you throw away your trash? Bin. Like how do you go about you throwing? Ca- 
you're going to carry your trash around with you after you're done until you get home or to your place of employment. I don't know what you do with the trash. You know, I don't have a home or a place of employment in Japan. So I was constantly traveling. I was constantly walking around with, with garbage in my pockets because I could, I, I, there was nowhere to put them. <laughs> you had to go find a Starbucks or something and go inside. And I'm no assuming, I'm assuming yet, you get like it, fined, it, right? It, you get fined if you don't throw away or if you throw away your trash on the street. Yeah. So I've heard. And, and so, yeah, I was going to say there's no trash bins and yet no trash on the street to be found. No one's throwing it on the, every, these people are, um, you know, they're, they're just very, very conscientious. They're good people. They're polite and they, they care and they, they're, they're selfless. You know, they're, they're willing to be a little bit uncomfortable for a while so that the, the environment is, uh, is safe. Uh, it was incredible. Yeah. That, I know that's a strange thing, but it really stuck out to me. You know, everyone's, everyone will tell you, obviously, the food. The food is tremendous. Yeah, the food. Um, I can't speak enough. And if you do like food, Osaka is the place to go. Osaka is the food capital of Japan. Um, and, and so that the food there is just is, is outstanding. They're all about the food. Very cool. Now, getting back to, like, travel, um, obviously, this was a major travel experience. You're in a foreign, different foreign countries for an extended period of time. Do you think this uh, experience has helped you as a comedian? Well, yeah. I mean, I've written a bunch of material about being over there. Um, so in that way, it's helped me. But I don't know to what extent it's helped because I haven't been able to try out these jokes. I have no idea if they're funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> since I've been back, I did one show on March 11th and then no shows since then. Wow. That, that was it. So I have material. Um, I have ideas that I would like to explore about being in Japan. Um, you know, I got, a, I got this, what I think will be a wonderful uh, high-tech Japanese toilet joke um, that I'd love to take a spin around the block. But Okay, <laughs> so okay, on the podcast that I just did, my guest talks about the toilets, and I had no idea. Are they actually, like, weird? Is there, or, like you know, quote unquote weird for us. Is, is it different like the United States toilets? Okay, this is too funny. Just a few episodes ago when I was interviewing Ritha Charette, she brought up Japanese toilets. Japanese toilets are the craziest things that I have ever encountered. Too funny. Oh, it's, it's much different, much different. And it's not, it wasn't just Japan, uh, Taiwan as well. Um, and you'll find it in Singapore too, um, for the most part is these high tech toilets, man. They're, the toilet is like a, com- got a computer built in. And so you can, uh, you know, it has a bidet, obviously you can control that. Uh, there, if these things play music, they play white <laughs> noise over your business. If you need to, wow. uh, they they heat the seats, they light up. Uh, what else do they do? I mean, these things, and a lot of the buttons are, you know, I don't even know what they do because they're not in English. So, right. I mean, the ones I could figure out though, were, you know, the bidet, the heated, the heated seed and the music and the white noise and whatnot. I mean, these things, you know, and beyond that, there's, there's some toilets that when you open the stall door or you open the bathroom door, the toilet somehow senses that you did and it'll lift the lid automatically. You don't even have to touch it. The lid just lifts. I went to, I'll never forget this. I went, I was in a, I was in Taiwan and I was in a, a fab, a fabric store. Now, if you've ever been to a fabric store in the United States, 
you wouldn't even think to ask if there was a public restroom, okay? I just assume there's no public restroom. I would never even ask. So not only is there a bathroom in this in this fabric store in the back, but the, the I mean, on this high-tech system, I th- this is where I opened the door and the toilet seat, oh, it lifted for me, the cover, the toilet cover, lifted. In, this is a fabric store toilet, man. That like, sounds magical. I would have been happy with a hole in the ground surrounded by critters. Like really, it's a fabric store. I'm like, I'm just pleased that you have a place I can pee. I don't care if it's a hole in the ground surrounded by critters. I'll take advantage right now. You're a fabric store. I don't expect this kind of hospitality. And yet, and yet, you know, it's so ubiquitous, these toilets, that even that bathroom had it and all the bells and whistles. This is like, I don't know why someone doesn't bring this to the United States. I mean, it's not that expensive. I looked into it. There's an attachment you put onto your toilet that costs like 600 bucks. And of course, you need a socket next to your toilet. You need yeah. electricity right there. But I mean, you can. these things are doable. These things are doable. And you would just blow minds here. I've seen humanity, real humanity, real civilization now and how they handle the, uh, you know, the toilet experience. Yeah. And we need some of that here. There's no reason why we're a first world country. We're very wealthy. There's no reason why we don't have these toilets over here. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. I use Buzzsprout for destinations beyond expectations, and I've been so impressed with how easy they make starting and maintaining a podcast. Are you thinking about starting your own podcast? Why not use Buzzsprout? Click the link in the show notes to let Buzzsprout know that DBE sent you. And not only are you letting Buzzsprout know that you support this podcast, but you'll also receive a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. Again, check that link in this episode's show notes. Now back to my interview with Jonesy. You know, I wanted to actually ask you about uh, your podcast because you have a podcast out there, the uh, Weird AF News Podcast. Uh, Can you talk about that a little bit? How did you get into that? Sure, sure. Um well, there's a, plat- there's a platform called Anchor, which is a podcast hosting platform that I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with. Maybe some of your listeners might recognize it. Mm-hmm. And when Anchor began, they were looking for, uh, they were looking for professionals to, to, to do podcasts on their platform because they didn't, they didn't have anybody using it. So I was hired with about 10 other people to do podcasts on their platform. And they wanted people to cover, you know, they wanted comedians or actors or whoever, like professional hosts and whatnot to, to host a, a podcast of their own on the platform. They did, they did daily news, uh, tech news, sports news, finance. There was all these daily shows on there, these daily podcasts. And I, I submitted my an audition and they liked me. They liked my personality and my voice and whatnot and they, they wanted to work with me. I told them I was I would like to do the sports show because I could talk about sports every day. It's not a problem for me. I'm a huge sports fan. They said, you know, sorry, we, 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 we've already assigned somebody the sports show. Um, do you have any other ideas? And I, you know, I don't know anything else about anything else, really. I don't know anything about tech or finance. I mean, or, you know about Japanese toilets a little bit, at least. I mean, I could have done a daily Japanese toilet show. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, these things are. Yeah, you could go on and on about these things. So I, you know, and I don't. Uh, you know, they were like they were trying to get me to do celebrity news because I've, you know, I've worked as an actor, and I'm just like I cannot talk about these idiots every day. I'll just, I just, I don't care enough yeah. about you know who, what these celebrity lifestyles. So you know, what am I going to talk about the Kardashians like three days a week? No. <laughs> um, so then I just I, I pitched them this idea. I said, what if I what if I do weird news? I'll do I'll do weird news every day, just like your regular news, mainstream news. But I'll do three weird news stories a day from all around the world. And they're like, well, yeah, why don't you send us a sample? So then I recorded one, sent it over. And they're like, this is amazing. It's hilarious. Uh, yeah, let's go for it. And so then I began working for them doing I was doing at that time uh, seven days a week doing a sh- very short daily weird news podcast on their platform. And they were paying me uh a, a nice amount of money a month to do this. It took maybe an hour a day. And I did that for about seven months, eight months. And then at that point, they sort of decided that they weren't going to pay their show producers any longer because by then they had some, uh, they had some producers and big names in, in the world of, of media join their platform. Um, mm. People like Gary Vee um, had a, uh, created a podcast on there. And so they were like, Hey guys, you know, thank you for doing what you did. You helped us get it off the ground. We're not going to pay you anymore, but if you'd like to keep your show, you have a little bit of a following. We'll keep featuring you on the, on the app and the website. We'll feature your show because that was the other deal. We had a show and then they featured us on the show. So when you got, when you downloaded this app to listen to podcasts, you, we were your, we were front and center for your choices, like the daily weird news show, the daily sports show. So because of that, built up a following over those months, you know, a very strong following of daily listeners. That's pretty powerful. So, um, they, you know, they put the ball in my court. They were like, if you want to, you know, you, if you want to continue to do this, you, you seem to have a following, you know, we'll, we'll just allow you to be featured on the app. And, you know, if you want to keep running with it, it's all yours. And, um, you know, I thought about it for a couple of days and, you know, I decided to keep doing it despite not getting paid. And I thought to myself, I don't know, I think I can build something here and make it so I can get paid someday. Um, you know, and I decided to stick with it. It helped also that I was getting interaction with fans that really enjoyed the show. I was getting emails and, you know, you can call the show through the app and people were calling into the show all the time and, and telling me how much they enjoyed it and how much it made them laugh and, um, and just made their day. I was getting very touching emails from people who said, your podcast got me through my my rehab or the death of a, the death of a close person. Like, I mean, it just was crazy. You know, these were, this was the kind of feedback I never got for anything I'd have ever done, you know, and I've acted on mainstream television, you know, I've acted on network television before I've been in films. I've played music. I've done stand-up comedy. No one has ever said these things to me when I did those, when I did those other arts and, you know, I just never got messages like this, you know, and it fits, it fits, uh, it fits a traveling lifestyle. Is, is the Weird AF podcast, is that on um, all streaming platforms? And do you have social medias with that as well? Oh, yeah. It's on every uh, podcast player, uh, including Spotify and iHeartRadio. And uh, I do have a Facebook page for it, Weird AF News. Um, it has a, there's a YouTube channel, and I, I put all the episodes on YouTube as well. And it it has social media handles as well. So Weird AF News on Instagram, Weird AF News on Twitter. And my email for that is weirdafnews at gmail.com as well. So I got all the Weird AF News. And I just uh, purchased uh, and, and am in the process of making a website that is it, it should be done by the time this is released. And it's weirdafnews.com. 
Um, so anyone can visit there too and find the show in, in, in addition to some other extras. Very cool. And can someone support you through Patreon as well? Yeah. Yeah. I have a Patreon weird AF news is the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash weird AF news. And I have, I'm very proud to say I have 70 patrons, which I'm so proud of. I mean, it's not crazy numbers, but, uh, it's, for me, it's really good. It's really good. I, uh, 70 people who have joined the Patreon and what a nice little crew of people we have in there. It's like a weird AF news club. Well, Jonesy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again to, uh, talk about your experience. I, I, re- I know my guests, my guests really found that interesting, um, because it's such a unique perspective being in the, I guess, quote unquote, you know, outbreak of, of where it came from, we think. So I thank you so much for sharing your perspective of, of that experience. Yes, Steve. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I hope your listeners enjoyed this, this particular episode uh, so much. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening this week. Make sure to go visit jonesy.com to see some of the funny and creative things he's doing and go give Weird AF News a listen. Remember, if you enjoy Destinations Beyond Expectations, hit that follow or subscribe button. That helps this podcast become more searchable so more people will be able to find and listen to the show. DBE is also on Facebook and Instagram and I have a website, dbetravel.com that has a library of all the episodes and some insightful travel blogs. That is all I've got. Have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you soon. Destinations Beyond Expectations is brought to you by Kaleidoscope Adventures. If you need help planning your next student group trip, Kaleidoscope Adventures is the name you need to know. Visit them at www.mykatrip.com or give them a call at 800-774-7337 when you're ready to plan your next school trip. Again, that's www.mykatrip.com or call them at 800-774-7337.